Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review, and hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been awaiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, dog? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 259, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. And you will be today because, I kid you not, we are going to go through the 10 reasons why the Cowboys season might just be a dumpster fire. And there's a lot of truth to some of these, so brace yourselves for that. We'll take our trip around the block, got a little note on Dak Prescott, a couple of little things floating around out there. But none of it possible without the wonderful team, Robert Greening, the lawyer, and his green team at Greening Law. And we'll get into this. I'll bring it up again a little bit later. But I had my epidural steroid injection in my back yesterday. And again, it's just one of those things where Greening Law went out. They found me a place here locally ever since I moved to Birmingham. And they, I mean, they handle all the scheduling. They they handle all the phone calls that you have to go through. All of that is taken care of by them. I am telling you, if you have been hurt in a car accident, you need to give the green team a call and see if they can bring you on as a client. The green team, there's a reason why they're good at what they do, man. They walk you through a process which can be really intimidating if you don't know what's supposed to happen or what should happen, and you're going up against somebody else's big insurance company. Trust them. Pick up the phone. Give them a call. Let them walk you through the process and do for you what they've done for Matt and hundreds of others, thousands of others since they've been there, uh, because picking up the phone and calling doesn't cost you anything. That's exactly right. It's a free consultation. So what are you waiting for? We all know the number by now, right? I I would encourage you put it in your phone, write it down, keep it in your car. If you're going to need it at some point, 972-934-8900. It's 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, call now offices, Dallas, Texas. Oh, these Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I keep going back and forth, and we've got plenty of time because training camp is still a month out, and then we'll get through training camp, and we'll have some thoughts, and I'm sure we'll we'll have Todd Archer and, and Clarence Hill Jr. again coming on with us in once we move into football season because they'll be in Oxnard with eyes on what the Cowboys are doing. But, man, this dude from the Philly voice, and he's like, the Philly voice? Well, hear me out here. And I have, we've read a couple of his things before. We brought it up on the podcast before. And sometimes I've highly disagreed with this guy. His name is Jimmy Kimsky. He writes for the Philly Voice. And he had an article that came out a couple of days ago, simply titled, 10 Reasons the Cowboys Will Be a Dumpster Fire This Season. So (laughs) I think for any of us, you hear that and you're like, okay, okay. You know, before I just go off on you because you're a Philly guy, let me read the article. And you get into this article, man, and I start going, well, he's not wrong. I mean, he's just not wrong. And some of these things you and I have talked about throughout the course of the last few months. Dude, it's, um, you know, there's there's a lot of, the thing I like about it is he does this for a lot of people, but the, the things that he says could make this season a dumpster fire, they're not like outlandish things. They're not like, come on, dude, really? No, it's, um, it's not that at all. It's, uh. It's him pointing out stuff that a lot of times as fans, check this out, Matt, you just assume we'll figure out in a positive way. It'll work itself out positively when the reality is, me and Matt have told you a thousand times, it's just a 50-50 flip. Some will, some will work out and some won't. 
Yeah, and so we thought we'd go through this so that you guys don't have to go to the article and give him more clicks. But number one on his list of reasons, Mike McCarthy is still the head coach. Now, I, I get this to some degree, and, and, and again, we spent, I mean, there are three or four times last season where we're screaming about Mike McCarthy and some of the in-game decisions that this dude has made. He brings up the end of the 49ers playoff game as the main example of this Again, failing to get past the wild card round of the playoffs, breaking down that final play and how the Cowboys handled it at the end. Mike McCarthy coming up and saying, hey, look, that that draw on the final play was the best option. It was the right decision. We Everybody questioned that. But right. it, there is... I get what he's trying to do here, and there are times, and we all feel this way. But again, if we're going to rip Mike McCarthy for some of those moments that he has that are like that, you also have to wonder if he's truly that bad. How did the Cowboys win the East and, and win double-digit games last year? No, exactly. It's a um, He's a good coach. Now, the question is always, can you elevate these Cowboys and make them into a championship team? That's what you're here for. That's why you got hired, and that's what you're supposed to do. And now the question is whether he can do it. Um, I like his aggressiveness. I like going forward on fourth down. I like the way he likes to set the tone a lot of times in the first quarter. Uh, all of that is great, but the bottom line is you got to figure out how to win and how to get this team back somewhere where it hadn't been in, um, you know, 25, 26 years. And nobody said it was going to be easy. No, not at all. And, you know, to his point, he, he points it out. He goes, the final sentence that he has in this first point here is, they're the chokiest bunch of chokers who ever choked. And it's not just that. I mean, he goes back, and, and I don't think Cowboys fans can argue with this, quite honestly, because his point is very valid and very true. And you and I have discussed this on multiple occasions, whether on the radio or on the podcast. They have not participated in the championship game since the 1995 season. Ever, 13 of the 16 teams in the NFC have made it to the NFC championship game since that time twice. The only two that haven't are Washington and Detroit and the Cowboys. Every other team in the NFC has been two or more times to the conference title game since the Cowboys last made it. When you put it like that, bro, you just really can't ignore yeah, it. Yeah, I mean. can't ignore it. You, it's you, just out there, man. It's reality. That's the Cowboys and what the mentality of this fan base has become for all of that. So his second point here, and you, I mean, literally on our last podcast, we talked about this. I think uh, maybe a month ago, we might have talked about it a little bit even more in depth. His number two point, the wide receivers are no longer a strength. And we don't have to go real in depth in this because, again, our last podcast, we talked about how with the signing that Terry McLaurin had in Washington, how the Amari Cooper trade continues to look worse and worse, and how they are banking on third-year C.D. Lamb, who's never been a number one, and coming off ACL Michael Gallup to really be the guys. And oh, by the way, we have no idea if Michael Gallup's going to play the first month of the season. Bro, to me, that's one of the biggest storylines of the offseason. Just the, I don't want to call it frailty, but the fragileness of the position. Like they're really all about right now, CeeDee Lamb a bust. And to me, that's a scary proposition, especially because you took a strength. You took something that was one of the strongest positions in the National Football League, dog, and you turned it into one of the weakest. To me, like, you know, their receiving core now is probably, it's just me, it's probably uh, bottom half. I don't know if it's bottom third, but it's definitely bottom half. And so, you know, it's whether Dak can elevate them. Yeah, it is, and, and we've discussed that. But his third point and again, this is another thing that you and I, and that's why I think like, I, I feel like even though I, I'm more of the fan, I, I'm a very realistic fan. And, you know, your job is not to have hope, strength, or hope, faith, and optimism. But his number three point, the offensive line is no longer a strength. And, and I've been saying that for forever, that for whatever reason, it feels like the Cowboys are the only team ever that if they don't have three all-pro offensive linemen, they just, they just fall to <laughs> shit. But his point is true. I mean, he is right about this. And he goes position by position. Left tackle Tyron Smith, who's 31 years old. And you go through all the injuries that he has had in the last five years of football in all the games that he has missed. And the reality of it is, as he goes, he's had back problems, neck, elbow, knee, groin, ankle. And who knows what else that never got reported. And the, we basically, at this point, 
to me, with Tyron Smith in a 17-game season, and look, I, I, I think that he's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame at some point. He's that level of left tackle. But in a 17-game season, he played 11 games last year. He played two in 2020, 13 the previous four years. He hadn't played 16 games or more since 2015. So, I mean, just based on recent history, you got to think that you're either starting a rookie who you're going to kick out to left tackle or you're going to make Terrence Steele your swing tackle. He goes out there, and he they're going to have to lock that down for four or five games this season. We know it's coming. We know what it is, and it's just to me, it's a situation where you gotta you gotta you gotta expect Tyron Smith to miss, and when it happens, you gotta expect the the youngster, the rookie, to move out there and go get the job done, and you gotta expect your other boy, Connor McGovern, to come in and play left guard. Yeah, it's a lot of moving parts. It's not a lot of depth. Not a lot of proven depth, and once again, it's a fragile position in a game built off of injuries. Like, we know guys are getting hurt, bro. And so that, to me, is why it's, uh, it's so unnerving because you're not asking for a miracle. This, this is just normal football. Somebody sprains an ankle, they're out four weeks. Somebody, uh, you know, hurts themselves, they're out two weeks, you know, playing offensive line because it got rolled up. These things happen. And so it's a, it's a little disconcerting to me if you're a Cowboys fan. Yeah, I would say so. And, and when you go through the rest of it, like he points out, and when we drafted this dude, we had this conversation, Tyler Smith. And, and I thought this was kind of funny that he did this. He goes, in my mind, I can hear Troy Aikman saying, yeah, that's the left guard, Connor Williams. You can see here they got him on a hold, and, and you just can't do that. And then he goes down and points out that this is a dude coming out of college that had 16 penalties last year in college, 12 of them for holding. And he goes, I look forward to hearing Aikman saying, yeah, that's the rookie left guard, Tyler Smith. You can see here they got him on a hold, and you just can't do that. You know, that, and that's fair, and that's true. I mean, really, this is an aging Tyron Smith and an aging but still all-pro level Zach Martin and quite honestly just a bunch of dudes that you're hoping don't suck. <laughs> that's one way to put it, man, but that's... That's what we're living at these days. And so, you know, man, it's um it's 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 the way of the world in today's NFL. Um if you spent big money elsewhere, sometimes you got to try to get by. It's just hard when you're the Cowboys and you're basically known for having a terrific offensive line and now you're kind of reduced to this. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, it's and as he points out, and I thought this was, again, it, it's all the, everything that he's pointing out is totally fair. It's just, do you want to look at it realistically? He gives us a list of offensive linemen the Cowboys have drafted since they took Zach Martin in 2014, not including, obviously, Tyler Smith because we don't know anything about him. Chaz Green in 2015, some dude named Lawrence Gibson in 2015, Connor Williams in 2018, Connor McGovern in 2019, Tyler Biotis, who I think... At this point, he looks like, I, I don't know how good he can actually be, Josh Ball and Matt Farniok. I, I mean, those are the names, and then you kind of look at what they've done. <laughs> Some of those guys, second rounders, third rounders, fourth rounders, that, and, and that's what they're relying on, and they just have not really hit on a guy. No, they haven't. Um, now, they, they had a long stretch where they were hitting on him every year. Yeah. And that's what's provided some grace. But uh, the grace is over, brother, and uh, they need these uh, these last couple tackles that they hit. You know, second and third round picks, man, are supposed, especially second round picks are supposed to get second contracts. Uh, a lot of time, third round picks should get a second contract. So the fact that they haven't been willing to offer those guys tells you really all you need to know about their drafting and development lately as it relates to the offensive line. Now, his next point, and this is one that I kind of disagree with on him here. His fourth point about the Cowboys this season is Ezekiel Elliott is approaching afterthought territory. And I, his example, and, and I, I get this because he points out, and this is true, Zeke Elliott, who will turn 27 here in a couple of weeks, there is only one running back currently on an NFL roster with more career touches than Zeke Elliott, and that's Mark Ingram, who's been in the league much longer than Zeke has. And you look at this, it's, it's because during the first four years in the league, he averaged 340 touches per season. There's a really good chance he's going to overtake Ingram this year for the most touches of any active running back on an NFL roster. My problem with this, and I get it, he looks at the rushing yards per game. We've talked about this. They, they've gone down from 108.7 as a rookie to an atrocious 59 yards a game last year. But the reality of it was he was hurt. 
He looked very good early in the season last year until he dealt with that knee thing. And some of the comparisons that he gives to me, like he tries to compare Zeke Elliott to Latavius Murray, which I, I don't even get. Like I, they, I find that they comical. Were, they were they were never in the same conversation. No, I, like I I, I, <laughs> I don't know because he points out he goes Murray currently a free agent, probably looking to sign for the league minimum, while Elliott will count for more than eighteen million on the cap. And I, I get what he's saying. He's like, you can get a serviceable guy, I guess, in Murray for way cheap. But I, I'm not ready. This is a prove-it season for Zeke. Can you continue to be what we thought you might have been and be the running back who can make it to 30? Because, I, I mean, and we've talked about this. We always ask, most running backs, if, the, if you're on Zeke's level, should get you to 27. Then it becomes, right. can, can you be something after 27? And if you are, then we look again at 30. And the guys who do it after 30, we can read their names in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, because they ain't but a couple of them, bro. Mm -hmm. um, I think the thing about Zeke is Zeke just needs health. Um, and it's to me, it's not even about yards. And here's why. Normally, it is about yards. It's not even about yards, man. It's about production because... Tony Pollard, you expect to get more touches this year. You expect him to be a little more part of the offense. And so Zeke could have fewer carries, fewer touches, but be a more productive runner uh, just because he's got a higher average for carries, breaking off longer runs, all those types of things. Uh, you'll know it if you see it. We won't have to debate whether he's having a good year or not. Everybody will know it. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not ready, to, especially the way that he phrased it, that Zeke is an afterthought. I, I just don't think that. I don't think that Zeke is an afterthought. No, because I think until we see otherwise, they're still building the offense around Zeke in the run game. And they're going to need to perhaps build the offense around Zeke in the run game maybe more this year. And it goes back to the wide receiver conversation, his fifth point, and it's true. It's all on Dak this year for the first time in his career. And you look at how much he's going to be asked to do. They took Amari Cooper away from him. And, and look, again, this is why when we talk about the what-ifs, what if CeeDee Lamb is that guy and ends up being better than Amari Cooper? Then, okay, holy hell, this is great. It elevates everybody. But what if he's not? And we truly just do not know. And really, for the first time in his career, Dak is going to have to take a lesser group of wide receivers. I mean, he hasn't had wide receivers this bad since they sucked the year they traded for Cooper. And that, to me, is the scary part. But, yeah. you know, it's a... It's also, what do, we, what do we always say? It's also an opportunity. I mean, if Dak wants to elevate guys and play out of his mind and, and move the offense to a whole other level, we'll all be standing and applauding like, wow, who knew? Uh, but the opportunity is there. He's got to do it. And I don't even know what it looks like. I just know it when I see it in terms of the quarterback elevating a fairly anonymous group of receivers. Um, you know, basically means you got to be accurate and all these other things so that basically all they got to do is stick their hands out and the ball sticks to it, sticks to their hands. And so I'm looking forward to it, man. This is a really exciting year for me uh, because there's so many possibilities, so many questions we don't know the answer to with this version of the Cowboys. Um, and they're all going to get answered, whether you like the answer or not. Yeah, it's we are going to get those answers. As he points out, and, and I think that this might be true, I, I'm still, we kind of, I think, knew going in, God, what year was that, 2018, when they traded for Cooper? Yeah. Yeah, and I think we, we kind of looked at it going into that year, like, man, really, they're rolling with these dudes at wide receiver? And yeah, what's so, wrong with them? This, this year, I feel like the, the overall wide receiver group has potential to be much better. We just don't know for sure. Because he says this is easily the worst supporting offensive cast Prescott has ever entered a season with. It'll be interesting to see if it causes him to take, take a step backwards. I think he's at a level with health that the level of quarterback that he's at now, I think he can be better with a lesser group than he would have been four years ago. Yeah, I mean, that, that could happen. I wouldn't be shocked because he should be a better quarterback than he was uh, when Amari Cooper showed up. And that, you know, that should give him an opportunity to make lesser players better. Um, you know, but we'll see. Uh, but it's all out there. And, and if it doesn't happen, this, then to me, this year will be a disaster. Uh, so, you know, Dak's got to make it happen. It's a huge year for Dak, man, um, because he still hadn't won anything. Yeah. I mean, he's a good dude. I mean, he's a great dude. Like, as a person, he's fantastic. As a quarterback, he's outstanding. 
But the bottom line is you still got to win and they ain't won shit. That's very, very true, man. And this may be, Tony Romo did it, and he did it with way lesser teams. I know they finished 8-8 eight and eight some of those years, but uh, there's a, and people will tell you this, if Romo hadn't been the quarterback, those are five-win teams. And, and you got to wonder, if Dak's not the quarterback and they're rolling with some lesser guys, is this a team that can even win eight, nine games? Can Dak at least be good for two extra wins because Dak is your quarterback? If that's the case, I think you can get into that 10-plus win territory and, and maybe get into the playoffs. And, of course, as soon as I see that, I see something that says Dak Prescott in 2021, eight games with a 100 passer rating and three touchdowns, most in the NFL, only the seventh player to have that many in a single season. Only Brady, Rodgers, Mahomes, and Peyton have had more. Yeah. I, so, I mean, reality of it is he doesn't suck. <laughs> no, that's why you chuckle at these people who act like yes, he's not good. Like, I mean, you can argue how good he is, but to say that he sucks or he's not good, I mean, y'all just tripping, man. I mean, it, it's you are. You are. I would agree with you. He also says takeaway regression is coming. And I, I got to tip my hat to the dude, man. His research on this, more power to him because he did a great job on this. He talks about the Cowboys leading the defense with 34 takeaways and talking about Trayvon Diggs, who had 11 interceptions last season. And then he goes back and looks at all the players that have had like the last however many it was that had 10 interceptions or more in a season. Every single one of them, minimum, had four fewer interceptions the next season. He says those players decrease an average of seven interceptions the following season. And then you look at the takeaways. Overall, the Cowboys with their 34 takeaways. And he went back and looked at all the teams recently, in recent years, and this looks like it's about the last five years, that have had 30 or more takeaways in a single season. How many did they get the next year? And all of those teams dropped off by at least six takeaways. On average, they had 13 fewer takeaways the next season. Now, I don't know that there's something that says you can't get back and, and be a defense that takes it away. I also don't know that you necessarily need to take it away 34 times. But I get what he's saying here, and I tend to agree with them, that asking for them to replicate the amount of takeaways, the amount of defensive touchdowns, because they had six last year, you, you have to probably have a fair understanding that's not going to happen at that level again. No, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's, um, it's a simple reason. There's a reason why they call it a career year. You know what I'm saying? There's a reason why they call it a franchise record because it don't happen all the time. And, um, you know, I, didn't, I did some research earlier, and I was saving it for the season, although I think we talked about it at some point. But if you look at the people who've had the most interceptions in NFL history over years, dude, they typically regress, you know, be, like Dick Knight Train Lane had those 14 picks in year two. Like he never hit double digits again. You know, some of it is people don't, don't, don't attack you as much, so your opportunities are fewer. And some of it is that was your career year. Everything fell just right for you. So, no, I don't go into next year saying, wow, Trayvon had 11 picks. Surely he's getting 12 this year or he's been slacking. No, like if he has six or seven, that's still a phenomenal year, bro. It's just that the 11 was the outlier. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And we'll see. I, I mean, think, that record lasted 40 years, bro. Right. I mean, 11, I don't think he's getting – I'd be shocked if he got double digits again. One, everything you were saying, I don't know how much quarterbacks want to continue to throw at a dude who can take the ball away like that, but he has he has shown – he ha, the ball. he's one of those guys that the ball seems to find. I mean, some yeah. of those interceptions last year were deflections or whatnot or him making a really great play. I, I still think this is a guy – depending on how many times you throw at him, that can, that can take away the ball five times. And, and, yeah, he drops off six interceptions, but five interceptions in an NFL season is pretty good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The next one is, and I mean, okay, yes, I agree. God, why? I agree with the vast majority of this guy's points. Number seven, the front office never learns from past mistakes. They use the franchise tag as a weapon to their own detriment. They can't help themselves from taking injury and or character concerned players in the second round of the draft true i mean again true and that's where part of this gets where you look at he's he brings up dalton schultz and the whole thing about tagging dalton schultz when he thinks they could have worked something out uh, differently he brings up the point with demarcus lawrence the point with dak prescott all of that type of stuff 
and and you look at their history of guys in the second round, obviously, and the latest one, of course, Kelvin Joseph, last year, who had red flags, didn't really do much last year, was a passenger in March in a vehicle that killed a guy. And then, of course, they bring up, and, and his point here, and th- see, this is where I think this is a little unfair, just to throw out that second, their uh, third rounder, I guess it was, or maybe it was second round, Sam Williams, who was once arrested on a sexual battery charge but like if you dig into that and look at that i i think it's unfair to just throw that out in a sentence like that well yeah considering that you know charges were dropped right that's what i'm (laughs) saying like like it it, it, that's that leaves it oh my god that guy got arrested for sexual battery and went to jail or something because nobody's gonna dig anymore like i think he should have put in there who was once arrested on a sexual battery charge however the charges were dropped right be fair to the guy, but, man. Yeah, which also means if you're being fair, if they were dropped, then it, they kind of should never have existed. So right. you don't even need to say it <laughs> because it didn't happen technically. Yep. So, But I do agree with his overall point, though. He also brings up number eight. We should probably mention other holes on this roster. And you start thinking about that. Like he says, cornerbacks not named Trayvon Diggs, linebackers not named Marka Parsons, interior defensive line, pass rush depth, safety. They also have an undrafted rookie kicker. He goes, it looks like a lot like some of the rosters the Cowboys had a decade or so ago when they had a handful of small, a a handful of star players at the top and a whole lot of shit. (laughs) Did Did you see that one coming? In a sense, yeah, and the more that you, again, and we've done this, you, you kind of go through it. I know we've done it with the offense because we've talked about what do you have. I like their running backs. We talked right. about the offensive line. I mean, again, they are a Tyron Smith injury away from having Zach Martin and a bunch of, like, I'm not kidding you. If Tyron Smith gets hurt, it's Zach Martin, and then probably Terrence Steele is your second-best offensive lineman option. Wow. I mean, that's the, in the whole group in depth. They have a lot of young guys that don't have anything. And then we've gone through the wide receivers. Defensively, yeah, Demarcus Lawrence is a beast, and Micah Parsons, my God, is special. Obviously, Trayvon Diggs can do what he does. I do think Dan Quinn is one of those defensive coordinators that identifies what guys do well and is able to put them in positions to do some of those things. So I don't know that you can discount the Dan Quinn effect defensively. But outside of that, I mean, I don't know that there's anybody on the Cowboys defense that you feel like you got to watch out for. Fortunately, they have one at all three levels. Well, yeah, I think that's the key. But what happens is you need your stars to be stars. They can't be role players. They can't be good players. they got to be stars. Like Demarcus Lawrence has shed the dreads. He's uh, cut some weight. He looks literally fantastic. Well, he's got to play like that. And if he does, then good things will happen. Uh, and if he, but if he's just a just a guy and age is caught up to him, then this defense in general is going to be an average group. But if he's good, and he's bringing that heat and bringing that funk at defensive end, um, then that defense will be okay. But he's got to be that guy. Yeah, all of them do. I mean, you got to have one of those guys at each level, and if you have one, it helps. And the Cowboys do have that. And then his last point, and and we've talked about this. I don't know that it means anything. It's just one of those weird things that happen. But there hasn't been a repeat NFC East championship since 2004. We're all aware of that when the Eagles had a string of them. And it's just, I don't know what it means other than it's just really weird. It's, It's oddly strange that none of these teams have figured out how to win repeat division championships. Well, I think it's uh, some of it's the nature of the league, but some of it's just, um, you know, you, had, you just haven't had a great team in the NFC East. Um, they've, had, they've had moments, but they haven't had like a dynasty. Like the Giants won two Super Bowls, but they had moments. They didn't have a string where they were winning 12 games a year. Um, you know, the Cowboys certainly haven't had that. Um, the Eagles won their Super Bowl, and they've been good, but they haven't been, you know, again, three or four or five seasons in a row with 10 or 12 wins. And then, you know, the Washington's been a dumpster fire yeah. <laughs> uh, for two decades. Yeah. And, you know, part of that, his ninth point that I skipped over, but part of it plays into that is that the Cowboys have the hardest floating games in the NFC East 
when you win the division, especially with the advent of the 17-game schedule, it used to be that just two games were different. Now three games are different, and you're playing three other division winners instead of two, which does make it slightly more difficult. But to his point, the Cowboys, they have to play the Rams, the Buccaneers, and the Bengals. None of the other three teams in the East play any of those teams. The Eagles, their teams that they get that are different are the Cardinals, the Saints, and the Steelers, which are still, you know, I don't know what to do about the Steelers with with no Big Ben there anymore. Obviously, we all kind of think the Cardinals will be pretty good, and the Saints, eh. So I get that. I understand that. I mean, I would definitely say having to play the Rams, the Bucks, and the Bengals, they're much more difficult than in the other three floating teams. Not even a conversation, man, yeah. because uh, the Steelers going to be trash without a quarterback, or they'll be average at best. And then, um, you know, the Saints uh, with Jameis Winston, I mean, they'll be solid, but I don't think anybody's like, oh, no. my God, we got to play the Saints this year. Yeah. Whereas those three teams that Dallas has got are all considered contenders. Exactly. And, and I would not be shocked if they went 0-3 against them. I think they'll pick up at least a win. You know, if you go 2-1 and one against those three teams, then that, that's telling us something. But we'll see how it plays out. But there it is, man. Yeah, that's the 10 reasons the Cowboys will be a dumpster fire this season, according to the Philly voice. And I freaking hate Philadelphia. I hate the Eagles. But the sad thing is, I agree with 70% of what that guy said. <laughs> and it's going to be very, very interesting because, again, and we'll spend the next month, you guys know this, as we launch into Cowboys camp in the next month, getting closer to the season, we're going to be breaking it down like crazy with a variety of different voices. And it, it, there's a lot of ifs on this Cowboys team. And a lot of the times when they have a lot of ifs, those end up being the seasons where we scratch our heads at the end and go, how did we miss this? <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. I can tell you something that you're definitely not going to miss out on, and that's Bruce Biltong. All you got to do is log on at bruisebiltong.com. If you like beef jerky, you're going to love this It's because it's better. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. High in protein, zero sugar, no artificial ingredients. And the best thing ever, 15% off every time you use the promo code JAM15 at checkout at bruisebiltong.com. So get some. It's fantastic. It's savory. It's succulent. Sensational. Like the alliteration. Yes. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I also like it, man, because of the protein power that it packs. 30 grams in a two-ounce pouch. It, to me... It's a terrific midday snack. I love it because you can eat it. You can eat a lot of it and not worry about the fat calories it's adding on to you. So uh, if, if you like to work out and you like a great snack, that to me is how you can get down. It's bruisebiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. Also, JR, his guys, it does not get any better than Freeway Tire Shop and the best spokesman on the planet for Freeway Tire Shop is Jacques Taylor because he's done work on all of your cars at some point over the last couple of years. And the reason why you continually take them there is because you trust JR and the can- the guys there at Freeway. Oh, no, man. It's uh, I sent a friend over there a couple of days ago. Um, she had, a, I think, something wrong with a radiator fan. I don't know, man. I said, send it or take it over there and, and see how it turns out and uh, let JR figure it out for you. And, uh, you know, I told her that because why? I trust JR, not just on my cars, but I trust him to diagnose the issue. And then I trust him to use quality parts to fix the issue. And then, man, I, I, I assume he's going to charge her a fair price. And then, uh, you know, he's going to stand behind his work. So that if something goes down, she can go over there and say, hey, it's not working. It's still not working. He'll fix it. I mean, he's incredible, man. That's why I rock with JR. He's the best in every sense of the word because it's all about trust for me, man. Can you trust your freaking mechanic just like you trust your doctor? Yeah. If you can't, Freeway Tire Shop, you can. It's easy. Online, schedule an appointment, request a quote. It's freewaytireshop.com. So this trip around the block, you sent me this fascinating article. And I don't know that I would have guessed this, but it makes sense. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago because I went and saw Top Gun Maverick and it was insanely good. It's become the most, it's by far the number one movie of Tom Cruise's career in terms of success at the box office. He's 59 years old. And so far, as of this recording, they have hit $1 billion in gross for Top Gun Maverick. 
520.8 million domestically, another 486.1 million in international gross, by far the highest grossing of the movie of the year, also the highest grossing movie of his career ever. But what's interesting about this, Tom Cruise is now a billionaire. He has taken in over $1 billion in all-time earnings from all of his movies that he's been doing. And I mean, it's been over 40 years now, ever since that breakout role in Risky Business back in the early 80s. $1 billion in career earnings from his acting. Not bad. One B with a billion. That's pretty damn impressive, bro. Now, you have to wonder, I mean, he divorced Nicole Kidman and Katie Holmes and some other chick he was married to, how much those cost him over the, over the course of time. Who knows? But it, it's interesting because he, there's a couple of things here. Before I get to the one point, they say it's not only due to his star power, but he has a deal with Paramount Pictures for Top Gun Maverick. He was paid $12.5 million up front plus 10% of the first dollar gross, which is a Hollywood term for a cut of revenue collected by the studio, which includes half of tickets sold in theaters, plus revenue from rights to show the film on everything from streaming services and airlines to television networks around the world. And he gets 10% of that. That's a huge number. They Whatever s- that number is, bro. Yeah, they say that they expect at some point, I mean, once this gets out of theaters and goes into streaming and all of that, that they expect that his take from this movie alone will be well over $100 million. I was going to say it has to be over $100 million. Yeah, because again, keep in mind, right now it's just $12.5 million is what he got paid to be in the movie. So he's going to make $88 million and even more than that in the coming years because of the 10% cut that he got for doing it. Wow. Smart. The other thing that it says in this article that I was reading about this, and I wonder if you agree with this, it says Tom Cruise, often referred to as one of Hollywood's last true movie stars. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, is he? No. But I, I mean, was what, like, I would what put does a true movie star mean. I guess like a guy who really never has a box office bomb. You know, he's had movies that do better than others, but I think most of us are very familiar with the movies that he's done. But I see, like, I don't know, is it because he's younger than, like, a guy like Denzel cause I, or, or some of the other names? I going to say, man, they're all, to me, those guys are all in the same category. Sam Williams or Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. Denzel, Cruz. You know, you could go the other way with, um, what's, my, uh, what's my guy, what's my lady's name? Meryl Streep. Meryl, yeah, Meryl Streep. Yeah. Uh, you know, all those types who, you know, whatever they do, you're like, I'm going to see it. Yeah, it's, I'm curious because all those people that we just named, I think Tom Cruise is the youngest by far. All right. And by so, far. It, all right. Well, I was going to say, because Samuel L. Jackson's like 70. Like, he's one of those deceivingly old dudes. Right. Like, like uh, yeah. Okay. So Denzel turned 68 this December. Meryl Streep, I know, is much older. I mean, she's been doing this since the dawn of time, it feels like. Yeah. She is 73. Yeah. So you get all those people that we're all so familiar with because they've been around for years and years. Samuel L. Jackson turned 74 later this year. Right. You know, I was watching a movie the other day and Robert Duvall was in it. And I was like, man, he's old. He's 91. Okay. I knew he was old. Gene Hackman is 91. I mean, we forget about how old some of these people are. And then I got to thinking, is there... Oh, I I apologize. Gene Hackman is 92. Morgan (laughs) Freeman. You know, we see Morgan Freeman, it feels like, in everything. Morgan Freeman is 85. Yeah, bro. I mean, he's been around Mm -hmm. since the electric company. Tom Hanks is 65. All right. I'm just saying Tom Hanks would be a movie star. Yeah, Tom Hanks would be a movie star. Harrison Ford turns 80 in two weeks. You know, the, the one that I would say to me that I would say is a true movie star is Leonardo DiCaprio. All right. Why he, is it? I mean, you look at his roles. He's got an Oscar. He does a variety of different roles, challenging roles, a lot of big time movies. You know, would we consider Brad Pitt in that realm? I mean, is, do we consider Brad Pitt like one of those true movie stars? I don't think so. Okay. But Maybe. You know, and I, I mean, Leo doesn't do a ton of action. 
So maybe that's the whole thing. Like Tom Cruise is doing these crazy big budget, you know, he does all of his own stunts. We talked about all of that. And maybe that plays into it some, you know, right. Will, Will Smith to me, I, I think is on that same level as like a Tom Cruise, as far as the power of his draw. Well, it, it was before the slap. I don't know how people does it. I mean, to me, like if I go to see a Will Smith movie, I don't care that he slapped Chris Rock because the character Will Smith is playing didn't slap Chris Rock. But I'm probably one of the only people who looks at it like that. I was going to say, I don't think that's a minority opinion. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so Will Smith is playing whatever, you know, Serena Williams and Venus, is, Venus Williams' father. Well, you know, Richard Williams didn't slap Chris Rock, and I'm here to see that. I mean, I don't know. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, but I just wonder, like, Ryan Gosling and Ryan Reynolds and some of those younger guys, I mean, Chris Pratt, I wonder, is he starting to get to a level? Because he does a lot of those big box office type movies now like that i don't know it's kind of interesting. interesting yeah i was gonna say interesting like i don't think so because i judge it like this like i don't know yet see tom cruise movie comes out you're like oh i'm i rock with tom cruise i'm going to see the movie what's it about again you know it doesn't matter because tom cruise is in it samuel l jackson's in it denzel's in it i watch it i don't know if chris pratt and those other guys have, have reached that level yet although you can say that about dicaprio dicaprio's in it good i'm down yeah that's i think that that's very very fair i think yeah i mean i man it's interesting i i think chadwick boseman was on that path unfortunately he passed away obviously i i think if he had not gotten cancer and had lived that i think he would have been on that path towards being one of those big you know box office type draws no i would agree with that his name popped in my mind as well so well, so there's that. The other thing that I had for you, I'm going to brag a little bit here, because, oh, and, and I'll okay. tell you why. I'll tell you why. But I had my epidural steroid injection yesterday, which is you go to the doctor, and you know they lay you down, and they do what's called a fluoroscopy, which is basically like a live x-ray where they can go into your back, and they see all, you know, your spine and everything, so they know exactly where to insert the injection. And so, because I have a really badly herniated disc in my lower back that causes me a lot of discomfort at times. And so they're trying to figure out how to shrink. It's the cushioning between your vertebrae. And one of mine has gotten to the point because it sticks out too far and it pushes on my nerve. And so I get like these weird, like just, it's just weird to describe. And sometimes it bothers me a lot. I mean, there are times where if I, I don't know what it is. Apparently standing up for too long, they were telling me like you, cause I alternate, like I can't sit too long and I can't stand too long now. Right. And if I stand too long, like it'll come to a point where I feel like I can't move where I'm like, Oh my God. Cause it's so tight. And it's like, like there's like a rock inside of you. It's really hard to describe. Wow. Anyway. So I go to the doctor yesterday to have this done and they were making me fill out all of the stuff. And, and I was like, I mean, it's, it says here, all, all this is for anesthesia. Like, you guys are putting me to sleep, and they go, oh, it's not really putting you to sleep. It's just kind of like, you know, we'll be talking to you, and then the next thing you'll remember, you're in the recovery room, and the whole thing has been done. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and, they, and they looked at me like, what? I was like, yeah, I don't need anesthesia for this. And they like, well, I mean, it, it will just relax you. You know, you're not going to sleep. It's just to help relax you. I'm relaxed. It's like, okay, yeah. well, you can talk to the doctor and see, but we still need you to sign all this paperwork. So then they come in, because, I mean, they were shocked. And then they come in. And the next girl that checks me out, she goes, all right, well, let's get your IV hooked up. And I was like, I don't need anesthesia. And she's like, you're not going to use anesthesia? I was like, well, I mean, you guys numb the area, right? And they're like, well, yeah. I was like, yeah, then I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so then the doctor who's going to operate, I mean, it's not operate. The doctor who's going to do the injection on me comes in. He's like, so you're good without doing anesthesia? I said, yes, I'm totally good. I was like, again, I'm assuming you guys run, rub whatever that stuff is that's like orange, red, I, they called it monkey blood when I was a kid and got stitches, and, they, and it numbs the skin. <laughs> right. And then you guys are going to use, like, lidocaine or something, like, in my spine, right? And he's like, yeah, I was like, oh, we're fine. I was like, I, I'm not nervous. I don't need to relax. I'm very relaxed. I was like, if I take anesthesia, I got to sit here for 30 minutes while you guys monitor that it's good, then the procedure, and then it takes, like, an hour to come out of that. So I can be in and out of here in under 45 minutes, or we can be here for three hours. 
And he was like, give me 45 minutes. Yeah. He was like, sounds good to me, man. So we go in there and none of these people could believe it. Like none of the, and I was like, does, I asked him, I was like, does nobody do this? (laughs) Nobody picks this option. Oh, they were like, oh no. And the doctor's like, I can't remember the last time somebody declined anesthesia. And I was like, I I mean, are you, are you going to cut my body open? And like, this is, he's like, no, I was like, okay, (laughs) then what? I don't see, I don't like, I'm, this is weird to me. So we go in there and I'm laying down. And at one point, you know, they're prepping me because they got to put the stuff on you. And it takes a few minutes for the numb stuff to kick in. And then they got to put the, you know, I, I think it was like two or three injections around my spine to, you know, it's almost like you're getting an epidural, you know, to really numb you. Right. And so then, like, I'm sitting there and I hear one of the nurses go, did he fall asleep? And I just started <laughs> laughing and they go, are you okay? It's like, I go, yeah. It's like, I'm not asleep. I was just, I was just hanging out. And they go, and the doctor goes, I have done thousands and thousands of these. I have never (laughs) seen anybody as calm as you. He goes, you have raised the bar for calmness of patient. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, and then I go, I was like, I'm trying not to laugh because I don't feel like I'm supposed to move. I was like, I was just kind of in a spot where I had gotten, okay, don't move and think about this for a while. He's like, man. And the nurse goes, I've never seen this. And I was like, so again, here's the thing. Now, yeah, it pinches, you know, and it pinches, it's uncomfortable, you know, but it doesn't hurt. And so they're pinching you. And then he goes, all right, we're going to go in. And I was like, okay. And you can kind of feel like a little pressure in your lower back and stuff, but it doesn't hurt. I mean, it's not painful. Right, right, And then the next thing you know is, all right, we're good. I'm like, cool, man. And my heart rate never got above 70. (laughs) How about that? I was like, I mean... You know, and I just thought that was hilarious. But I will say, because we were talking about doctor anxiety the other day. And, you know, I make a point, and I don't know why. I think it's because there's so many, I've known so many nurses and doctors, and obviously the lady friend, her dad is a dentist, as we've discussed. Her mom is a nurse at a dermatology clinic. And so I've been around a lot of medical people, and it's amazing how many patients freak out. How many patients will snap and, and, and be rude? And part of it is just because they're scared and, and they're upset. Right. So I try to come in there and I make jokes and I'm super positive. I'm like, they're like, are you ready? I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. I can't wait. And like, really? I'm like, yeah, let's go. You know, and, and <laughs> so I, I, I always try to be like a super awesome patient. You know, where they, they don't, because you never know, like you go into the room next door, like if you're in the hospital and that patient is in there, you know, and is, and is cranky and upset. And then they come into me and, you know, sometimes you can tell when they walk in, like, oh my God, I hope I don't have to deal with it with this guy. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I don't see a smile on that face. Aren't you excited to work on me? <laughs> and they just start laughing and like, yeah, I'm like, okay, good. Cause I'm excited. I'm ready for this. And I think, I don't know when you go into it with that type of mentality, I, I just think. And I know that not everybody, because I was talking to my mom about this. She's like, I don't know how you did it without anesthesia. She's like, I get so nervous. I was like, and some people do, you know, some people freak out and and they don't like those types of procedures. But for whatever reason, it does not bother me. Dude, well, consider yourself fortunate. No, I don't think it it bothers me. I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty calm when it happens. Uh, Whenever I've had to have anything done, I'm pretty low key. But I mean, even I don't know if I'm if I'm rocking with that. (laughs) without anesthesia yeah Yeah, i I mean i'm rocking like that i don't know i've declined it a couple of times in my life and this was the first time that like they all were asking me so much about it that i was like am i make like is this yeah am i really screwing this thing up i know and i was like i don't understand like like explain like and i that's why i asked all those questions and i was like i don't i just don't get it like what am i missing here and the doctor's like i mean really nothing i mean if you're really this calm then you'll be fine i was like okay Let's do it then. You know, because I've had, I have what's called lipomas all over my body. And that's like a buildup of non-cancerous fatty tissue. And they form like these balls, like these, like marbles, like these little marbles. I have some of my arms, my legs and different parts of my body. Well, I've had some of those cut out before because they'll grow. And then sometimes like I had one on my elbow. So anytime I put my elbow to lean on it, it was like right on it. And it was just annoying as hell. And so I went in, I had like three or four of them cut out because of that. And I declined anesthesia then. And they were like, are you sure? It's like, again, you're just numbing it and then slicing open my skin and pulling it out, right? And they're like, yeah, I'm good. And they're like, okay. 
Now, I will say on that, because I, I was watching it. Like, I wanted to watch. I was like, can I watch you do it? Because they were like, well, turn your head this way. I was like, Am I, can I, like, you're cutting into my body. Can I watch this? And they're like, okay. Yeah. So I'm watching them do it. And I, I started to get really lightheaded. I was like, man, I feel like I'm going to faint. And they're like, okay. And I go, that's so crazy. Like, I'm not upset by this at all. I don't know what happened. And the doctor was telling me, that because there is that much blood and, and, you know, they're cutting, like I'm watching my, my skin get cut into that. My brain is seeing this happening and subconsciously yeah. because I'm not feeling pain, my brain thinks something is wrong. So it tries to shut down. Yeah. Your brain is like the fuck dude. I know. Even my brain is like, you moron, get anesthesia. Exactly. But in your back, you can't see it. So I just closed my eyes and I was trying to take a quick little nap. So there's that. You're for right. Me. I am. I am impressed. <laughs> Thanks. I was hoping somebody would be. All right. Our final thing here on this version of the podcast is going back to Dak Prescott here in this quick number that you sent me. And I don't know what what betting house this was from that you got these odds from, but the over under on Dak's touchdown total for 2022 is 34 and a half. Now he was hurt obviously in 2020. He threw 30 touchdowns in 16 games in 2019. He threw 37 touchdowns in 16 games last year. He didn't play all 17, remember. So I got to say, based on what they have offensively in the depth at wide receiver, I don't know that he's getting to 35. Now, see, I'm taking the under. If they had put the number at 32 and a half, I would have been much more intrigued. Because I can see yeah. him getting 32, 33, because that's just a couple of more than he threw in twenty six or twenty nineteen, but thirty five. I, I mean, quite I honestly, see. if he gets thirty thirty one, I I don't see him getting to thirty five. No, I think they'll run for some more. Whether it's actually Dak doing the running, or whether it's Pollard or whoever or Zeke, and then uh, you know, I think uh, I just don't I just don't like their receivers enough to think that they'll accumulate thirty five TD passes. Yeah, I don't see that happening either. And then, you know, I wondered, I didn't see the over-under on his yardage, but what would you put the over-under on his yardage? Because I would think, I mean, last year he, in really the last couple of years, I mean, he had some opportunities to put up big numbers just because of the way that the offense went and what he was on pace for originally before he got injured, you know, in 2020, which was just ridiculous. But he had 4,900 yards in 2019. He had 44-49 last year. And I kind of think the over-under, like if you set it at 4,500, I think that, that might be maybe 4,400. But somewhere in that range, because I do think he'll get over 4,000, especially keep in mind, will he play all 17 games this year? Which gives you an yeah. extra game to hit numbers. Um, not just that, but, you know, they play a lot of good teams. Will they be behind more? Will he have to chunk it more? To uh, to get back in the games or to or to keep up, and so I don't I don't like the touchdowns, but I do like the yards. So you like the yards for forty five hundred, yeah, and the under of so you take thirty four touchdowns. You mean thirty four or less, and you hit. Correct. I might put some some cheese on that. Although the last time I bet on the Cowboys was yeah, the we season both it was a laugher. Yeah, the season that they sucked ass. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, that was the season that Dak got hurt, and they went 6-10. and Because I, I was right. like, there's no way they're going 6-10. and 10. And I think, the, I think the over-under was like 7.5. I was like, they'll win at least eight games. It was something that was really easy like that, and then Dak gets hurt, and I lost 100 bucks. Right. So I don't know if I want to ever <laughs> bet on them again. I forgot about that. They burned me. It's also interesting, like, if this team struggles, like you were mentioning, and, and it doesn't go the way they want, his numbers will be higher. But, you know, keep in mind, like you said, the idea that they want to run more, get Tony Pollard involved even more so in the offense and do some more with that. Cowboys are 12-8 and eight in Dak's career when he throws for over 300 yards. They're 41-24 and 24 when he does not. So 17 games over 500 when he does not throw for over 300 yards, which is not that – I mean, everybody – well, look at Aaron Rodgers. Okay, my God. You know, everybody, that's always the argument whenever you try to point out something positive about Dak. Well, he's not Aaron Rodgers. Whoever said he was a Hall of Famer? I mean, Whoever said that? You're right. He's not Aaron Rodgers. What an amazing observation you've had here. Yeah, come on, man. Be better. That's what I like to say. If you can. 
And then finally, before we truly wrap it up, I don't believe we will have a podcast on Monday because Monday is July 4th. And this is the July 4th weekend. So with everything going on and a lot of people are traveling, I know many of you, especially in Texas, all those lakes are calling your name. People are going to go out to the rivers. You're going to go out to, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to have a family member that lives in the country somewhere, you're going to be out there shooting fireworks, hanging out. And it's such a great celebration. So we will take the holiday as well on Monday. And our next podcast will be dropping for you on Wednesday, July 6th. So be aware of that. Enjoy your 4th of July weekend. You going to go fireworks at all? Going to do any of that somewhere this weekend? I'll probably check some out. I don't know where, but uh, I'll probably stumble across some. But uh, they're cool, but it's not like, oh, my God, I need to go do it. Yeah, I, that's... I don't see the thing of it is here at Birmingham because of the amount of small mountains that we have here. And when I say small mountains, like the highest elevation in the entire state is like 3000 feet. I think at, at its peak, that might be wrong, but we're in the foothills of the Smokies and all that coming down from the East. So right. when you look at that, it's, excuse me, it's one of those things where there are some, opportunities because of that where you can see a lot of different things so a lot of the area i mean a lot of the elevations on what they call mountains here would be anywhere from 1500 to 3000 feet so when you get up there and one of the big fireworks shows is on top of one of those so it's kind of cool because if you're in a lower lying area anywhere in the city you can see it because it's it's up above everything yeah and it's pretty cool i mean they do a really good job with some of the fireworks shows here all right. No, that sounds like a winner. And I, I mean, I love to watch them. Yeah. I just don't like dealing. If I can watch them without dealing with all the traffic and all the other stuff, then I go do it. But it ain't that serious to me where I, I want to sit in two hours of traffic on the way home after the show. <laughs> I can see that, man. You wouldn't want to mess with that. So, you know I what I'm mean, saying? Yeah, and, and that's the thing with Texas is with everything being so flat, you have to get closer to be able to see stuff. Right. You know, I mean, you can't just be like, oh, look at that over there off the top of the mountain. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nope. you know, can't really get down like that. <laughs> no, you can't. So, you know, Addison always has Kaboom Town. And I will say one of the, the tricks to Kaboom Town, if, if you're in that area and you want to go, you don't have to go to actual Addison to be able to see it. Like there's a lot of parking lots on what would that be? The east side of the tollway that you're not going to have to deal with as much traffic as as if you go west of the tollway and you're in actual Addison more so. And you can see some stuff from there, like from Odd Muse. Odd Muse Brewing Company and Farmer's Branch, those guys are great. They make great beers. You can see the fireworks show from their parking lot. And I know they're, they're doing a thing out there for all of that. And, you know, there's just some local places sometimes that it's a lot more fun rather than trying to cram everybody in. We got to find a parking spot. Now we got to walk through a field to make sure we get a decent vantage point. Uh, no, it could be a pain in the ass, no doubt. Definitely but, uh, can be a pain in the ass. You know, great fireworks show, though. Yeah, if you want to, it's worth it if, if you get down like that. It is. I can see that. And all the memories of all the years. But these days, I mean, to me, if I see them while we're driving around and we're out and about doing something, then kick ass. If not, I don't care. There you go. I, and I hate, I hate to say that. And I know the lady friend is all about it, which means we'll probably make an effort to go see some of them. But to me, I've said this in years past. The reality of it for me is I feel like once you've seen a couple, you've seen them all. Well, you're not wrong, brother. And, you know, last year we did because we were still in Texas right before we moved. We drove to Arkansas and spent the weekend with my lady friend's family up there. And we went out on a boat in the middle of a lake right by where they live. And that was awesome because we were, I mean, we were probably 100 yards away from where they were shooting off the fireworks. And that was fantastic. That was very, very, and it was a really good fireworks show. That sounds like it. But with that, I oh, yes, I, was gonna say, I, haven't, I haven't been I haven't been that close to any in a long time. Oh, you got to get that close because it's pretty awesome. I feel the intensity. Lie. We got because we were taking the boat back home in some rich family that has like a massive property right on that lake there. After the city fireworks show was done, they put on their own fireworks show and it might have been better than the city's fireworks show. Oh, hell yeah. And I we like we were making our way slowly back to the house from on the boat and the fireworks were literally exploding like directly over us that was awesome 
I've never been where like you look directly above you and it felt like, my God, are we in war? Are we going to get hit by the shell that drops down from this? That was kind of cool. You felt like Francis Scott Key. I did. I was going to write a song and, and I realized that one had already been written. But that was a lot of fun and very enjoyable. I loved it. Dude, what you should have done is gone home, scribbled out the Star Spangled Banner, say, I was motivated and moved, lady friend. <laughs> lady friend, I think this is a hit song. What do you think? And, and just giving it to her. Yeah, but maybe sing it in a different tone and yeah, see what she would yeah. say. <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a cover. I'm saying, can you see? <laughs> By the dawn's early light, with surprise, you know, and just you know, just switch it up like a cover song. Yeah, that would be kind of wild. I wonder what she would do. She'd be like, um, "That's the Star Spangled Banner." Like what? <laughs> All right, everybody, enjoy your Fourth of July weekend. Have a wonderful holiday. Happy birthday, America! And again, we will be back for you. Brand new episode coming your way on Wednesday, July sixth. As we gear up, I mean, keep in mind, we enter July. That is training camp month. Yeah, baby. Football's here. I'm ready for it. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.